The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we are in uh, the second week of a series called How to Pick a Fight. Uh, and in this series, we're, we're going to be exploring the stories of, of men and women in Scripture who stood up at the right time. They stood up when it mattered most. And so last week, uh, we looked at the story of Jonathan. And uh, if you were here... That was maybe a story that you never heard before. I think many people maybe never heard it before. In fact, uh, after worship last week, I was, I was talking with, with Grace Huey, who's, who's part of our church, and uh, she said, you know, Gabe, when you started reading that text, I honestly thought partway through you were going to say, oh, I'm sorry, this is the wrong text. It must be somewhere else. And, <laughs> but no, it was the right one, all right? We meant to do it. Uh, last week was a story no one knew. This week is a story that I think even if today was your first time ever setting foot inside of a church or a gym church, this is a story that I think almost everyone knows, right? The story of Noah. That, that before it was made into a, a major motion picture starring Russell Crowe and before old ladies from the Midwest blew up my Facebook wall because they're upset with the creative license the producers took with the film, uh, everyone's known this story, Right? You know this story. It's, it's sort of woven its way into to popular culture around us. And in particular, though, it's sort of done that uh, as a children's book, right? It's like a children's story, and you buy toys for kids, and you decorate your nursery that way. Which I've always thought is sort of weird, right? Like, this is a dark story, right? It's about, like, the depravity of mankind and God executing judgment against them by sending a flood. And we're like, let's, let's decorate Junior's nursery that way right? Like, it's odd. It's odd. It's animals in a rainbow. It'll work, okay? It's a heavy, heavy story. And I, I remember uh, one time the, the heaviness of this story actually hit me. Uh, I, was, I was working uh, with an organization called The Ark, and, um, and we did uh, mentoring for, for inner city kids in inner city St. Louis uh, that, that were in junior high. And, uh, and the guy that, that ran the program, his name was Pastor Matt, and, and he was awesome. He was a really nice guy, very caring guy, but he, uh, he was very, like, no-nonsense, which he sort of had to be with this group of kids that were sort of tough to, to corral. And uh, he rocked the collar and, and just was like, ooh, you know, and uh, very similar to me, of course. And, uh, and so, he, uh, and, uh, and so I, I remember one day I was, I was mentoring, I was, I was hanging out with this group of, like, sixth-grade boys, and I'm trying to teach them stuff. I'm trying to talk with them. They're just being really rude and disruptive and, and just not listening to me at all. And so Pastor Matt shows up, and he just dropped the hammer, right? And he just laid into them hard, and he said, hey, listen, if you guys want to stay in the ark, you need to start listening to Gabe. And then he turned around and left. And uh, this smart aleck kid goes, hey, Pastor Matt, I thought, I thought the ark was all about love and respect. And, and when you were yelling at us, I didn't feel loved. And Pastor Matt, without skipping a beat, he turns around and he goes, yeah, the ark is about love and respect, but it's also about obedience. When God sent the flood, he only saved Noah and his family. Everyone else died. Do you want to be left outside of the ark? Everyone listened really well that day, right? <laughs> listened really, really well. Right? There's very much a heaviness to this story. It's heavy. But one of the cool things we see is that grace also abounds in this text. And so that's what we're going to explore today, this sort of tension that we see. And these are two major themes throughout Scripture, but we see them no more prevalent than we do in the story of Noah. This idea of the weight of sin and the crushing destruction that it brings to us and the abundance of God's grace and the necessity of God's grace. And so we're going to explore both of those things today. And, and we're going to see in this text uh, three points about sin, three truths about uh, sin, and then three truths about grace. 
And uh, those of you that worship with us regularly, you're saying, okay, you know, Pastor Gabe, you normally have three points in your sermon this week. We got six, right? So we're going to be here twice as long. Yes, okay, so buckle in. Uh, no, it'll be, we'll go quick, all right? We're going to fly through this. Six points, but we got to get started. No more distractions, all right? So uh, three truths we see about sin are this. Sin grieves God. Sin is destructive to people. Sin demands justice. Sin grieves God. Destructive to people demands justice. Here we go. Truth one, sin grieves God. Look with me at five and six. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So it's pretty clear in this text that sin grieves God, that, that at this point in the history of the world, mankind had abandoned God to such a degree, they weren't listening to him, they were completely corrupt, and it grieves God. Sin grieves God. And I want to make this point because I think so often we think of sin as, as purely a horizontal thing. That it's something's only wrong if I harm someone else. That's the only thing that makes it wrong. If, if whatever I do doesn't harm anyone else, then it couldn't possibly be wrong. So I was uh, hanging out with this kid I mentor for, for Nineveh Ministries, teenager, and, and we were grabbing lunch. And as one does when you hang out with a teenager, uh, I start a conversation about um, Aristotelian ethics. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I said to him, I said, hey, so, you know, uh, Aristotle, he, uh, he starts the, the question of ethics. He says the ultimate question of ethics is, is what is the good life? I said, what do you think about that? And he said, well, I think, I guess I get that. That makes sense. He says, so, so what did Aristotle say the good life was? And I said, well, for Aristotle, he said that the good life was the life of virtue, that you become the sort of person who does the right sort of things for the right sort of reasons. And I said, what do you think about that? I said, what do you think the good life is? And he responded to me, he said, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't really thought about it. I guess I, guess I think just people should do uh, whatever makes them happy. I guess that's what I think the good life is. And I said, well, all right given that we're having an ethical conversation here, uh, what if what makes me happy was going around and punching little kids in the face? And he said, well, no, you can't do that. Well, I'm just doing whatever makes me happy. He said, all right, all right, fine. You can do whatever makes you happy as long as you don't harm other people. Now, has anyone ever heard anyone say anything like that before? Have you had that conversation? You've heard that, okay? That's sort of the, the, the moral mood that surrounds our culture today. That's sort of the general mood that surrounds the conversation of ethics today. And I get it. I get it. But it doesn't go far enough. Philosophically, it doesn't go deep enough because what's the moral basis for me not harming another person? Why shouldn't I do it? Because it's wrong. Well, how do I know it's wrong? Well, Scripture would tell me that it's because God has written his law in my heart. We call this natural law. That God has written his laws in the hearts of all people. That he's the one who's designed how things work. That he's outlined a way to live. He's, he's shown us what the good life is. He's created us to know him and be in communion with him. That that's how things are supposed to work. And so we see that when we sin... It's first and foremost an offense to God. When we sin, we disregard God's law and we smack him in his face. Sin is to disobey God's revealed will. It's an affront to his character. It's an affront to his holiness. But even more than that, if you look at verse 6, 
it grieves his heart. It grieves his heart. See, sin is taking another lover. It's a betrayal. It says, God, I know you created me to know you. You created me in your image to know you and to love you. But you know what? You're not that great. I'm going to choose to do this instead. Instead of being in communion with you, I'm going to choose to do this. And it grieves God's heart. And so sin, we need to see, is a vertical issue first. First and foremost, it's a vertical issue. But secondly, what we'll see in this story is that sin also is horizontal. That it affects how we uh, engage other people. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. All right, so, so we see in verse 11 here that humanity's corruption has, has gotten so bad that the world is, is filled with violence. And uh, most likely this text is talking specifically about physical violence. Uh, but I think for, for our sakes here, we could probably extend that metaphor to be violence being any sort of harm we might impose on other people. And so we see, man, sin is first grievous to God, but it's also destructive to people. That there's a relationship here that, that when we turn from God, it's only naturally going to happen that we turn from other people. And there's a point I probably don't need to belabor too much, right? Like you've all been hurt by someone, been wronged by someone, and you've all probably wronged someone else at least once or twice. It's probably happened, okay? And so I don't need to, to belabor that point, but I do want to point out that one of the things we see here is that sin is, is not really, it's not just like one moral failure, like this is the list and oh, I missed that one today. No, 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 it's actually a condition of our hearts. What does verse 12 say? All flesh had corrupted their way on earth. The very pattern of who they were and what they were doing was, was corrupt at its nature. That There's a corruption that runs deep in all of humanity. A tradition I grew up with, we call this our sinful nature. Some other Christian traditions, they call it total depravity. But there's this idea that deep inside of us, we have this bent away from God, this bent away from others that separates us from him and leads violence towards others. And see, that sort of thought uh, is not without its critique, right? Like there's people I'll say, wow, Gabe, oh, hmm, there's a little negative, little negative. Like, come on, people are, are generally good. It's kind of this romantic view of the world. That people are, are generally good and really the issue is society's just messed up. And really the issue is people just need to be better educated and then they won't be so, so ignorant and they'll make better decisions. If that's your critique, can I just point a few things out to you with that? Uh, first of all, if society is what messes people up, what's society made of? People, right? So, so if society's a mess, it's because people are a mess. Secondly, the, the only reason that point of view really exists is it's coming from a, a certain cultural context uh, sort of birthed here in suburban America where we like to hide our sins behind picket fences. Go to the ghettos in the cities across our country and say, hey, I think people are generally good. Go to hundreds of places across the globe where evil men oppress and exploit people and say, hey, you know what? I think people are pretty good. You guys just need to be a little better educated, but that's it. See what reaction you get. See what reaction you get. Thirdly, I'd point out, education doesn't solve everything. It's helpful. It's a good thing. It just doesn't, though. And I know we have a lot of educators in this church, and you'd probably agree with me. 
You can teach people all sorts of things. You can teach them the right way to live. But at the end of the day, we still make a mess of things. It just still happens. The the Nazis were incredibly well-educated, and yet they committed some of the most heinous crimes in history. See, the reality is there's a darkness at work inside of humanity. That's the reality. There's a darkness at work inside of us, and positive thinking and education don't solve the problem. And so sin remains grievous to God. It remains destructive to people. And so what we see in our text is that sin demands judgment. Demands judgment. This is what we see. Look with me at, verses, at verse 13. God's talking to Noah and he says this. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so there's this point in human history where God looks down and he says, Man, these people that I've created to know me and love me have completely abandoned me have completely abandoned following me and living the way that I would have them live. It says, I gotta wipe this out. I gotta clean the mess up. And so God executes judgment in the form of a flood. And, and sometimes people have a really hard time with that, right? Like, hey, God is love. Let's just hug one another and sing kumbaya and you know, we'll all be okay. And, and I get that, I have that same tendency myself. But, but the reality is we need to see that God's judgment actually comes from a place of love. So whenever I try to explain God's judgment to people, I tell this story. So if you've heard it before, tough. Um, and, and it goes like this. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, a couple years ago, sold everything he had. He sold his car. He quit his job. He actually owned some, some real estate. And he sold that and saved up just as much money as he could. And he went to go uh, live in Africa and work at an orphanage there for six months and, uh, for free, but just wanted to help them however he could. And he paid his own way for everything while he was there. So he, so he goes over there to work in this orphanage. Two days into his stay there, he was out on the town for some reason. Two days into his stay there, some thugs broke into the orphanage, stole all of his stuff, stole this very generous offering he had raised to give to this orphanage that's taking care of these kids. These guys beat up the pastor who was on site taking care of these kids, and then they stole all the money from the orphanage that was used to feed these kids and to educate them. Let me ask you a question. Does that take anyone off? Yeah, do you like want those guys to see justice? I hope so, otherwise you're a sociopath, right? Like that, that's a big deal, that's an issue. So uh, a month ago I told that same story to a, to a group of teenage boys who had just gotten out of juvenile detention. And uh, the four of them that were still listening, it's a tough crowd, um, they, uh, I told that same story to them. They were just as outraged as any of us would be. These kids who just got out of jail. So let's just think about that. If we are upset at that injustice, if teenagers who just got out of the justice system were that upset at that injustice, how much more the perfect, holy, creator God of all that is good and true and beautiful, how much more upset would he be at the continual instances of injustice that he saw going on at Noah's time? It's a miracle it didn't happen sooner. That's grace. That's grace. And so God executes judgment in the form of a flood. But what's amazing is it doesn't just stop there. God doesn't just say, all right, everyone's a mess. I'm done. No, he says, you know what? I'm still going to extend. I'm still going to extend grace. I'm still going to save people. And so we see God's grace at work in three ways in this text. Grace precedes obedience. Saving grace is sending grace. Grace requires trust. Okay? Grace 
precedes obedience, saving grace, sending grace. Grace requires trust. Let's look at this. Grace precedes obedience, verses 8 and 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So one of the things I want us to see in this text is oftentimes we look at this and and we jump right to verse 9 and we say, oh, okay, so so God looked at the earth, everyone's a mess, they're they're making big mistakes, ah, but Noah was a righteous man, he did good things, and so God said, I'll save him because he's good. But that isn't how scripture works, that isn't how the gospel works, that isn't how grace works. We got to start with verse 8. It says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The only reason Noah was saved was because he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. For all we know, Noah could have been as bad as the next dude. Could have been just as committed to corruption and violence, slinging dope on the corner as the next guy, right? But he found favor in God's eyes. So grace preceded obedience. God said, Noah, you're my guy. And then from that, Noah went to live a righteous life and to walk with God. Noah doesn't obey to get God's grace. It's from God's grace that Noah responds in obedience. And so this is incredibly important for us to get uh, because you know, I spent the first half of this message like laying it on hard, right? right? And so our temptation is like, oh gosh, I'm uncomfortable. I've got to do something to fix that. And so we say, okay, you know what? I, God's righteous judgment on sinners because we make a mess of things. I'll start doing the right things and then I'll make God happy. I'll do all the right things, I'll be a good person, and then he'll smile upon me. Can I tell you, it doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. It won't work like that now. You'll end up exhausted, angry at God, and guilt-ridden. Grace has to precede obedience. Grace has to precede obedience. You have to see that, oh my gosh, that, that before the foundation of the world, God said, I'm choosing this person. That before the foundation of the world, God chose you to be his own. That Jesus went to the cross for your sins. Not because you're so great. Not because he thought, man, I really need this person for PR in the 21st century in North America, so I better save. No. The only reason God chose you as his own. The only reason that Jesus went to the cross for you. The only reason is his grace. That's it. Purely because of his absolutely undeserved grace and see it's only if you see yourself at rest in that grace and in God's favor that true obedience will flow so grace precedes obedience but it doesn't stop there we see that saving grace is sending grace look with me at verses 14 and 18 make yourself an ark of gopher wood make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch I will establish my covenant with you And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And so we see God not only says, hey, you know, you found favor in my eyes. You and your family are safe. He says, yeah, Noah, you're safe. But brother, we got work to do, right? We got got a big boat to build. We got work to do. Saving grace is sending grace. God saves Noah for a purpose, to do something, to build a boat. And so if you're a Christian, this is what it means for you. Saving grace is sending grace. If God's grace in Jesus has, has grabbed a hold of you, it means it was for a purpose. It means it was for a reason. 
that he saved you so that he can send you. And as soon as I say that, we maybe get a little nervous and we say, whoa, you know, Noah had to build an ark. Like, do I got to do something like that, right? Do I got to do something big and extravagant so, so God sees what I'm doing because I've been saved. I want to be faithful to that. So I got to do something big. I got to go into full-time ministry or mission work. Probably not. Probably not. Some of you, maybe. God's working on you. And so just say yes and do it. But most of you, probably not. No. See, sending grace works like this. It's not additional, but it's intentional. It's not additional, but intentional. It's recognizing that God has called you where you're at for a reason, for a purpose. And so it's going about your daily life aware of his presence with you, aware of his grace at work in your life. So as you go to work, and as you raise your kids, and as you do your hobbies, and as you interact with your neighbors and your friends, it's recognizing that God's grace and his presence is with you. And that's going to shift how you live. It's going to shift how you act, saving grace, sending grace, shifts how you interact with people, how you view your money, how you view your sexuality, how you raise your kids, how you do your work. It's going to change and shift how you do your life. Saving grace is sending grace. It's not about additional, it's about intentional. The final truth we see about grace, though, is that grace always involves trust. It always involves trust. Look with me at verse 22. Last verse we read today, it says this. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. All right, so you guys know the story, okay? God commands Noah, says, build this big boat, bring all these animals on board. They float around for a while. This is what's gonna happen. You know how long it took Noah to build an ark? Chapter seven tells us. We didn't read it. It took him 100 years to build the ark. All right, so 100 years, Noah's in the middle of the desert, no water anywhere, not a lot of rain going on, and he's building a giant boat. You know how much he had to trust in God's grace to do that? How much he had to lean that God's word was what, it, what he thought it was, was what he said it was? Uh, when I grew up, I, I watched uh, these, these films produced by Hanna-Barbera, the, the greatest Bible adventures ever. Um, and it was about three young archaeologists who fall into this time portal, and they, they relive the Bible stories. You guys ever see those? No? All right. Thank you. Yes. All right. We'll commiserate later. Um, and, uh, and anyways, my, my favorite one was Noah. They're all on YouTube, by the way, so, you know, get a kick out of it. Uh, my favorite one was Noah. It, uh, the voice was Lorne Green of Bonanza fame. So I see a couple gray hairs out there that are happy about it. Um, and, uh, and, and you see what happens in this story is, is Noah's building the ark, and it takes him 100 years, and so he's doing that. And the people from this village, they keep coming out, and they keep making fun of Noah. I say, Noah, you're in a desert, you fool. What are you doing, man? This is never going to work. Why are you building a boat here? The ocean's so far away, you're wasting your time. And Noah says, no, I'm trusting God, I'm listening to God. And he just keeps working away. And uh, it doesn't say that in the Bible, I don't know if it actually happened, but I'd have to imagine that it did. 100 years of some dude building a giant boat in a desert. He's going to experience some opposition. But Noah trusts God in the midst of overwhelming critique. Noah trusts God. And so the same is true for us. You see, it's, it's not enough for us to, to recognize God's grace. It's not enough for us to be sent by God's grace. That ultimately what it comes down to is us trusting in God's grace. It's us saying, God, you are who you say you are. I take you at your word. That's not always easy to do. One of the places where that's on display the most, where taking God at his word is sometimes the hardest. 
is in the beauty and the scandal of his grace on the cross. See, because what we see on the cross is that despite all your sins, despite all your brokenness, despite the fact that you deserve God's righteous judgment to fall onto you, it doesn't happen. That all of his judgment falls on Jesus. That he takes the place for all of us. And that by Jesus' work on the cross and the empty tomb, God's grace is for you in abundance. In abundance. And just like Noah, or God saved Noah through the ark, we know that God still extends his grace to us in tangible ways. That when we get together and we hear God's word that, that, that Jesus has saved us, that's grace. That in a few moments when we take part in the Lord's meal and we receive the forgiveness of sins yet again, that's his grace reaching down to us in a tangible way. And that in the waters of baptism that God claimed you as his own, that that's a a point in history where you can look back and say, God grabbed hold of me there. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, I met with a a family who's who's part of our church uh, this past week. Uh, Scott and Amanda Atkins, and uh, if you don't know them, they're wonderful people, you should get to know them, and, uh, and met with them, and, and we, we talked about God and life and questions, and, and then uh, uh, Amanda's son, Mason, who's in sixth grade, came and, and talked with us too, and he had some questions about God and some of the things we do here at church, and, and so he and I just had a little dialogue about those sorts of things, and then at the end, uh, I said, hey, Mason, uh, do you want to be baptized? And it was the coolest thing, he just got this big smile across his face. And he said, yeah, I do. And he said, I I believe in Jesus, and I want to be baptized. Now, he trusts in Jesus already, but next week, we're very excited as a church. We're going to have a moment where he will be baptized, and he'll have this this tangible moment where he'll know, hey, God for sure grabbed hold of me there. That he promised that he's going to pull me through these waters, and that he's with me from here on out. And see, that's what trusting in God's grace looks like. It's saying, hey, I know he's grabbed hold of me. I know his, his word is with me, and I know his promise is sure, and so I'm hanging on to that. I'm going to hang on to that grace wherever life takes me. And so some of you, man, maybe you need to experience it. Maybe you need to be baptized for the first time if that hasn't happened yet. If it hasn't, talk to me after worship. We'll get that locked down. Some of you maybe just need to be reminded of that, that God did grab hold of you, that God's grace is for you in Jesus, and you hang on to that, that his judgment isn't on you, but his grace is. And there's some of you that maybe you're like, yeah, I get all that. Good. Remember, saving grace is sending grace. And so we go out into this world with his love and we can live for him. So that's my prayer for us today. We see the, the overwhelming magnitude of sin in our lives and in the story of Noah, but may we be even more blown away with the overwhelming grace that God has for us in our Savior Jesus and live more and more into that. If you all please pray with me. Heavenly Father, 
It's a dark day out today. It's a dark day when uh, you sent the flood to destroy the earth. But Lord, we know the darkest day was when Jesus went to the cross for us. The darkest day was when your grace was most present. As Jesus took on the judgment that we deserve. God, teach us to rest in that grace and in his love for us that he would give completely of himself for our sake, that we would know you, that we would be in a right relationship with you. God, I pray that for my friends, that they would learn more and more to live into your grace. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.